welcome to Murder at Land Between the Lakes with your hosts, Amelia Courtney and Lainey Sullivan. You're listening to season two, a season of justice. Welcome back, everyone, at Murder at Land Between the Lakes. We're so happy to have you here today. We wanted to give you a quick update on Carla and Vicki. We always like to give you any updates on what's going on with their case. And there have been a few tips that have been coming in as of late um, that have been really helpful. And it is being actively investigated. So if anybody out there um, has anything that they remember or recall, please feel free to reach out to us, the TBI Um, or the FBI. So that would be fantastic. Now, what we're here today is to actually listen to the interview that Amelia had the great opportunity of conducting with Brian Collins. And if you recall from last week's episode around the disappearance of Steve Keel, Brian was Steve's hunting buddy in Alaska and was the last person to see Steve before he went missing. So it was a great opportunity to hear from him Um, What exactly happened on that day when Steve went missing? So um, we're very excited to share that with you guys today. Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Lainey. That was amazing. Um, Yeah, as you all heard, um, when we last spoke with Liz, um, she did a great um, introduction to Steve leaving on his trip uh, with Brian. And in this interview, you'll get to hear Brian talk about, you know, how the trip went and, you know, the last time he saw Steve and where it went from there. And um, so listen to it and see what you think. Um, one other thing that um, I wanted to that just came up on my Facebook feed today, I thought was um, pretty interesting. Um, Sheriff Frankie Gray there in Stewart County, he just went to Alaska himself on a hunting trip, Laney. Um, I did see that. It was on a whole different side of Alaska. I mean, I think it was like it said it was like a 92 hour driving distance between Fairbanks and where he went. Kotzebue, maybe, I think is where he was. But I found that very interesting that he himself went on a hunting trip in Alaska. So I did call his office to see if he had any comments, um, you know, or see if he did any asking around about Steve and how he could help or if there was anything he could do to help while he was in Alaska but I didn't get any comments back but it was just today that I called so there wasn't probably enough time for him to return my call but I will keep you updated if he calls me back and has any um, inside information so because the two of them actually I don't know if we said that before um, Steve and um, Sheriff Gray were um, went to high school together, played football together. So I'm sure he's very concerned about what happened to his high school buddy as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Amelia. Yeah. Okay. So we'll let this interview roll and see, um, take a listen, see what you think. Editing note during my recording with Brian Collins, We did start to lose connection at one point, and there's a quick pause before we reconnect. So if you hear the pause, just hang in there, and we get him back shortly. Welcome back, listeners. Last week, I had the privilege of speaking with Liz Kill, the wife of Steve Kill. We talked about Steve's hunting trip to Alaska and the day he disappeared. We also talked a bit about his hunting partner, Brian Collins. And today, we're going to hear from him himself and hear directly from him what happened on that trip. And let him talk a little bit about Steve. 
So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you, Amelia. So let's start a little bit and let's talk about how you and Steve knew each other. I met Steve um, 16 years ago, right about 16 years ago. I uh, was an electrician and um, started a new job here in Cumberland, Tennessee. And Steve was a fellow electrician there, and that's how we met and got to know each other and became friends. So that's a little bit, we talked about that with Liz a little bit. You guys were very adventurous guys, so I knew you went on some trips together, and the two of you seemed like a good match as far as going on these hunting trips and both very um, capable and able men to like go on these adventurous hunting trips. Yes. So we, uh, we're both, we're both horsemen. We both like hunting and fishing, pretty much anything to do with outdoors. And right. I guess that's why we became friends and, you know, hit it off so well together. So we seem to be interested in the same things. Yeah, right. So perfect. So like you like these trips together and you went on, this was your third trip together, your big trip, big trip? Uh, I would say maybe the fourth. fourth. We, we did a bow, our first hunting trip was a bow hunt to, uh, in Colorado. That would be our first big trip. We went elk hunting. Uh-huh. Uh, we also did a muzzleloader hunting trip for elk in Colorado. We did a rifle hunting trip, and we've done a rifle hunting trip for antelope in Wyoming, and then Alaska was our last big game hunt together. Okay. Okay, so let's talk a little bit, too, about um, you got to Alaska, and I know that she talked about you did most of the, or you did all the driving, right? Because I know Steve liked to be a passenger, so you did yes. most of the driving, right? Right. Okay, let's talk about that day then. How that? How did that day start once you arrived in Alaska? Um, it went pretty well. We as, as immediately after we landed in Alaska, contacted the gentleman that we rented a van from, and he met us at the front of the airport. So we immediately picked up our van and went on into Fairbanks and eat um, last-minute supplies that we needed and tags. Um, just made sure that we had everything we needed and started driving north. And that's a long drive, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very long drive because the roads aren't great, so you have to, you've got to be careful. You don't want to drive too fast. There's very rough roads. Right, and that drive is approximately, what, 11 hours? Um, it, it's probably a 10 or 12-hour drive, mm -hmm. um, depending on how you drive. We, we broke it up. We just drove until about midnight and pulled over and slept in the van okay and then got up the next day and went on up to the area we wanted to be at okay okay perfect and so um and so then the second day after driving is that when you began your hunt um not exactly we we were mainly spotting caribou just a caribou we were just finding them and uh looking for a you know a good from the road and ended up very close to where we could have died out of the mile or anyway, we stopped and went out to the tundra just to get a feel of it and spent the first evening, you know, walking around a couple miles just right there in the tundra, fairly close to the road and uh, with our bows trying to see if we could get lucky and get us a caribou on our first day out there. And then we went back to the van and we slept in the van that first night. Okay. Let's talk now about the day, um, the day Steve went missing. Okay. That was 
maybe it was three or four days after we we hiked out to the five mile mark okay we had um we had hiked out a few miles and set up a camp near lake okay and then spent the night there and then we hiked out another couple of miles set up another camp where we hunted with rifles okay. you have to be five miles away from the road to be able to hunt with a rifle okay so we the first we spent the night the front that first night out there at five miles the next day i harvested my caribou mm-hmm. and um that evening maybe it was the next day i think i hiked back to the lake to get a few more supplies and then back out to the five mile mark and at that while i was gone steven harvest harvested his caribou and then we spent a day just getting uh rest and getting all the meat ready for packing and um we just rested for one day and then we slept and then the next morning we started packing back to the lake we got all we, wanted to get all the meat back to the lake. So we were hiking back to the lake and, um, Steve had, he was carrying more meat than I was cause I had already packed half of my caribou back to the lake. Okay. So he was carrying more meat than I was. And, um, about six tenths of a mile before we got to camp, we'd kind of separated some, he was, um, lagging behind. He said, you go ahead, but we could see the last ridge to our camp from where we separated. He said, you go ahead, I'll keep, I'll catch up. And I told him, well, I'm going to mark that ridge because I'd had trouble finding the campsite because um, the compasses and everything doesn't work perfectly up there around the Arctic Circle. So it would, you know, it put me off a little bit, maybe a quarter mile the first time I made that trek. So so I marked the top of the hill with a, um, a walking stick and an orange flag. Okay. And then I went on into camp dropped my gear and um went back up to the top of the ridge and watched for him and when steve come up that evening he didn't have all the meat he had uh his gear but he didn't have the meat he had dropped it off so the next morning of course we spent that evening just he spent that evening cleaning up changing clothes things like that and then uh the next morning when he went to get retrieve his pack with the meat in it i went ahead and did my cleaning up and changing clothes and getting our packs ready for making the trek back to the road. And, uh, it was probably about 10 o'clock that morning when, um, after we had gotten up and drank water and filled all our canteens and everything up with water, he decided to head on down there to get his backpack. And he said, I'll be right back. And that's the last time I saw Steve. So he left at 10 that morning to tell you he was going to get that pack. Yes, around 10 or 11 that morning, yes. Okay, and, and so he wasn't going far. He was literally just going down to get that pack, and that was it. Yes. Jeez, and so, like, I just can't imagine, like, where, and then, so w- what point did you decide, okay, I haven't seen him in a while? By the time I finished um, getting cleaned up and changing clothes, I started organizing my gear so that I could, you know, get everything back to the van, the meat, the gear and all that. And just two trips, I finished organizing everything and separating everything. And just that's basically all I did for that, that morning after he left. And I kept watching my watch and I thought, you know, he should be back anytime soon. And after a few hours, I decided, you know, uh, Steve should be back by now. So 
I went on top of the hill where I could see the direction that he walked to get us back mm-hmm. and took my binoculars and just looked for him. And when I didn't see Steve, I knew something something wasn't right. So um, I, I hollered for him. I fired my pistol um, to see if he would hear that and nothing. So that's when I started to get really worried. And um, I walked about halfway in the direction to where I knew he'd drop the pack off. So because there's a few rises um in the landscape that mm-hmm. would block someone where you know you might not be able to see them so i would go to those areas and and, and glass form with my binoculars um i headed north to the ridge on the north of us and look I headed to the ridge of the south of us and look and just spent that whole afternoon looking for steve um and trying to decide what to do would that or would that be like him at all to like go somewhere other than where he said he was going absolutely not yeah um we 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 usually separated most of the time when we hunted in colorado and wyoming we Mm -hmm. we would separate and we'd always meet back at camp and steve never had issues with with getting lost um he was very good at you know recognizing where he was and um i just didn't expect him to not be back right right and so you were expecting him just to come right back. It wouldn't be like him to wander off and go somewhere other than where he said he was going. Right. And according to Liz, his meat pack was still there, so he never even made it there. Exactly. Um, well, did you, here's a good, uh, something I thought of. Did, did you guys see other hunters like while you were hunting? Was there other people in the area? Like, Was this a crowded... I mean, this is the middle of Alaska. So were you guys running into other people? Were there other people around you? There were people. Um, when we got to the five-mile mark, we'd run into, we ran into a couple of people the morning we headed out there. Okay. And we ran into five, maybe five other hunters, five or six other hunters out at that five-mile mark in that area. We were all hunting fairly close to each other. Okay. But um, after we had harvested our caribou and hiked back, we didn't see any more hunters at that point. I don't recall seeing anybody after that point. So when you, um, after you first started out, you never saw anyone else again? Not after we had harvested our caribou. I don't oh, okay. think we've seen any more hunters. Okay. And you never so saw we, it? I'm sorry. And then you never, did you ever see any, like, wild animals? Like other, you know, big animals is what I mean. Like, you never saw a bear no. or anything like that? No, we saw one wolf on our hike out. Mm-hmm. And it was a single wolf by itself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, once it saw us, it, it, it ran. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard it. We could hear it howling at night. It was, it was. Um, I wanna, I think it was living on the east side of the lake. We were on the west side of the lake. But we could, that was the only big game that we seen other than the caribou. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I mean, do you have any thoughts of what could have happened? I have no ideas. My first initial thought was he may have gotten disoriented and went the wrong direction. Right. Because that's easy to do in Alaska. It's so hard to walk in the uh, in the tundra. Right. You're always looking down and back up and down and back up. So I thought, well, he could have got disoriented and went in the wrong direction. But um, the very next evening, we had a huge helicopter flying around. You know, rescue was out there, and Steve would have heard that. And Steve could have made his way towards that helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, we referenced the road multiple times out there. We could hear trucks. 
we could spot trucks every once in a while in between the hills um driving by on the road so we had we had plans for if we ever got separated what to do a contingency plan on how to get back to the road get back to the van and uh so for him to not come to the helicopter sounds or make it back to the road it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me yeah mm. I, something I wanted to ask you, um, and this might be a sore spot for you, I watched your interview with um, Courtney Allen on WSMV Channel 4. Did you find her interview to be a little harsh with you, or were those questions you wanted to answer? No, I didn't I didn't mind. It was it was at the at the end when she asked if there was if I was involved in Steve's disappearance. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was kind of disappointing. Not you know, not knowing I understand that that's going to be a natural thought for people. You know, it's usually the last person someone was with when they disappeared that had something to do with their disappearance. But for me and Steve have been friends for, for so long and we're so much alike and we, um, we've never had crosswords. We've had future plans to hunt together. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, I mean, we were really, really good friends and the thing new was personally, no one would ever question either one of us have harmed each other if they if they actually know us it's people that i don't know i don't know i I can understand how someone's curiosity would would uh would make someone ask that question or have that thought but i think if they knew us knew that we were you know christian men and and very close friends and uh, they would never suspect anything like that right right that's why i wanted to ask you i didn't know if you know, you knew she was going to ask that or not, or if she kind of caught you off guard with that. Yeah, definitely, she caught me off guard with that question. But yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about her. Um, I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm, you know, I'm worried. I mean, all that matters is what God thinks and what God knows. And then you've got the hardest part for me is the family. They have to deal with this, not knowing, mm-hmm. um, not having any answers. And I would love for them to have some some closure i would love to know what happened um so i mean it's it's very it is kind of touchy i think about steve every every day and i wonder what i could have done different what what we both could have done different were you a part of any i know they went on a couple of searches did you go back out there or was that something that was maybe too hard to do no i was never invited to go back out i i stayed out there Uh um and, you know, from when the time Steve went missing, I stayed out there until his son showed up, picked them up and took them out there. And we stayed past the rescue um, attempts from uh, the Coast Guard and the Civil Air Patrol. They all called off the search and we stayed out looking until we ran out of food and we ran out of resources. And then I had to take the sons back to the airport. Uh-huh. And um, and then that's when I had no help and I was by myself and that's when I had to call it off and come home. How, how did you feel the support was from Alaska on helping? <laughs> the, the Coast Guard and the Civil Air Patrol, um, and the, they did good. Um, they came out and they did patterns um, with their helicopters and with their airplanes. They, they did a good job. But as far as feet on the ground and any support out there, I, there was none. Mm-hmm. It was, there was nothing. If we could have, 
I feel if we could have gotten a rescue team with a dog out there within the first week, we would have found something. We would have known at least which which direction Steve went. Um, but they they wouldn't allow them to come out. It was almost like they they didn't care. Um, the people in charge, which would have been in the North Slope Bureau. Mm-hmm. So I was highly disappointed. I felt alone. I felt um, abandoned at that point. They they would just they called the search teams to come out and let them do their thing, but nobody came and supported on the ground, and nobody um, from Alaska helped, except for a couple of individuals who volunteered. One of the rescue um, members actually went home and to Anchorage. He loaded up his dog and drove all the way back and met with us, and uh, we gave him all the information we had, where we searched, the areas that we looked at, and he took, he went out on his own with his dog and searched after we had left. And uh, there's, there's been a few people that have gone out there on their own and searched, but as far as the North Slope Bureau, there was, there was not much help from them that I felt. Right. I, I know there's always a, a coulda, shoulda, woulda, and you can never take anything back, or but at the time, you know, I think you and Steve had this pact between you where you would wait, you know, 24 hours before you would call for help or anything. But in that moment, was there any part of you that maybe thought something else was going on that maybe you should have called for help sooner? No, I, I honestly felt that, you know, the very first night when, uh, when I realized something was wrong and Steve wasn't he didn't go, you know, straight to the pack and straight back to our campsite. I figured Dan, well, most likely he went to the road. Mm-hmm. So I felt I'm going to find Steve back at the van. It's he's, you know, we're both very capable people. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and packed up half of my gear and went back to the van. And, uh, when I got back to the van and Steve wasn't there, that's when, you know, then I really began to worry. I wasn't too worried during the day, but when I got back to the van, and he wasn't, he wasn't there. I was worried. So I called my wife. I had service there at the van. That's, I think, the first time I realized I had service um, on that road. So I called her and let her know what was going on, but I didn't want to panic Liz at that time because mm-hmm. I figured, well, maybe he'll find his way back to the camp. So I got some sleep, hoping that he would show up that night at the van. And when he didn't, that next morning I packed a few extra supplies and uh, went back out to the campsite expecting to find him there. And uh, he wasn't there. And that's when I knew now I've got to um, involve the search and rescue team. That's when I alerted them with my uh, GPS satellite communicator. Okay. And how do you do that? That's something I don't understand with that communicator. How does that work? It, um, it's called a Zolio, the, the communicator that I used. And it uses satellites to communicate. So it, you can, I can email and I can text using that, okay. but it also has a, a button on it for emergencies. And when you press that button for emergencies, it, uh, it alerts an operator and that operator then calls the right authorities and then they start contacting you. So immediately I was contacted by Zolio saying, you know, we're, we're letting the authorities know that you've uh, activated the emergency service. And then the uh, a gentleman from Alaska started texting me from the state troopers. 
And once he started doing that, communicating with me, asking me where I was, well, they knew where I was at because they would get my coordinates mm-hmm. from that uh, um, communicator. So we started communicating back, finding out, you know, what's the story, what happened. They're letting me know, okay, well, we're going to have rescue services on their way. And we just communicated back and forth um, by texting back and forth with, uh, I was using that satellite commuter, which is communicator, which is um, Bluetooth to my phone. Okay. Perfect. I see. And then they send, at that point, they send help. Yes. Okay. And then did you, at any point, did you leave in that van or did you just stay put so they could find you? I stayed put the first, when I first communicated with them, I stayed put until they showed up. I stayed there looking, searching in that area. When they showed up that evening in the helicopter, they searched a little bit and then they came and touched down and picked me up. Mm -hmm. And then we went and searched some more and I gave them all the information that I had. And that's when we found Steve's pack while I was with them in the air. And then they dropped me back off at camp. They wanted to take me to um, Prudhoe Bay. And I told them, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here. So I stayed at the campsite and they went to Prudhoe Bay. And then the next morning they didn't come back out because of fog and weather conditions. And I kept texting back and forth with, um, either the Alaska State Trooper or it was uh, North Slope Bureau, but I was texting back and forth with them, letting them know, hey, look, the weather's fine here. You know, let's let's get out here and get the search in. So it was it was tough the first couple of days because of the weather. They wouldn't leave Prudhoe Bay because I guess they had more fog up there than they did where we were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brian, I feel terrible for everybody involved. And um, do you have any any plans to go back out or if if I was asked to go help with the search I would go in a heartbeat mm-hmm. um, there's no doubt um, it's it's very it's very hard um, very tough physically and then uh, of course you know I want answers so that's exactly why I would go I would go um, anytime that you know that somebody felt like they needed my help I would go but I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's you know we've had we've been out there there's been helicopters out there uh, other search been out there I I don't think we're going to be able I don't know where to look I can't I wouldn't be able to pinpoint where to look look at all but I would go out and spend yeah I would walk as much terrain as I could if if I if I was asked to absolutely well, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking. I'm sorry this has happened to everybody, and I've, I'm sure he's grateful for the caribou you guys did get and for the trips that you did have. Yeah, we had we were having a great time. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much to Brian Collins for coming on and sharing um, all the information that he had on the disappearance of Steve Keel. Amelia and I are staying very close to this case. And if anybody has any information to share, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We are definitely hoping to be able to make some progress in finding out what happened to Steve. Um, So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. 
Music by Indie 44. Produced by Discrepancy Podcast. Hosted and edited by Lainey Sullivan and Amelia Courtney.